0: If you've got your Bibles, turn to Judges chapter 6, Judges chapter 6. While you're turning there, quick review of last week since last week was two Sunday school lessons. If you missed it, you missed getting credit for two Sunday school classes in one day, so that's all I'm saying. Could have got double check marks in heaven. Um, we've got uh, Judges chapter 6 and 7 today. Uh, it's the story of Gideon in the Bible. Um, and last week we talked about the cyclical nature of Israel's behavior in the Old Testament and how it's up and it's down, and it's up and it's down, and it's good and it's bad. And I talked to you about this passage in Judges uh, chapter two, uh, verses sixteen through nineteen. It's actually in your text. And this is the pattern of the entire book of Judges. I'm just going to read through this. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges. Another way to translate judges is what? Anybody remember? I brought one to prompt your memories today. Robots, yes. No, heroes. I asked my son if he had any hero toys, and he brought me this. And I said, I need to be more involved in your life. <laughs> this is, I, I wasn't really sure. Apparently, these are heroes. This is what they sell. This is actually says, what, what's the name of it again? It's uh, Bionicles. No, but it's Hero Factory. Hero Factory, yes. So this, this is a factory where you make heroes, and they come out looking like this. So... So I thought, you know, the story of Gideon today, we're talking about heroes. Gideon don't look nothing like that, so (laughs) it's the best I could do. So your first blank on your handout are heroic leaders. That's another way to translate the word judges. It would really wreck the book, though, if you wanted to change the name now to heroes because nobody would be able to find the book of heroes. It would be a challenge. So, nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, so the Lord did this work, who delivered or saved or gave the victory to them, this is the Israelites, out of the hand of those who plundered them. Remember, Joshua brought the people of Israel into the promised land, but there's a difference between occupation and domination, right? They were occupying the land, but they had not dominated the land. All the other tribes, all the other nations were there as well. They had not yet driven these people out of the land. Verse 17, Yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot. Remember last week's lesson. We're not going back there. With other gods and bowed down to them, they turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked, In obeying the commandments of the Lord, they did not do so. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge, for the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers. So you see this cyclical pattern, and it gets worse. By following other gods to serve them and bow down to them, they did not cease from their own doings nor from their own stubborn ways. So we have this roller coaster religion, and last week I called it casserole theology, right? It's this everything goes in the pot. It's just whatever you want to put in goes in, and whatever mess comes out on the backside when you take it out of the oven, that's what you got. And it's just, it's awful. It's absolutely awful. So they mixed the worship of Yahweh with the worship of the Baals and the Ashtoreths and all these others and it just comes out on the back end and nobody knew what they were doing so they needed a hero now Gideon is famous in the old testament for one thing really he was always looking for a what he was always looking for a sign he was always looking for a sign so Gideon is famous for his requests for signs from God to confirm God's message Uh, in my note I don't know if I put it in yours but in my notes it says some things never change Um, because how many of you have ever prayed for a sign please God just show me a sign Show me a sign what you want me to do, right? And looking back on those periods of weakness, um, we go, maybe that was just, I should have just kind of done what God's word said, perhaps. you know. And and sometimes there are decisions where we come up and we go, I have no clue what to do, right? The stuff that Gideon goes through is not those situations. The the word of God was quite clear with what Gideon was supposed to do, and yet he still repeatedly asked for a sign. So there's a difference here. Um, and I want to make sure one key thought here, even though we could call this book the book of heroes, the key thought here is even though he uses, God uses men to accomplish his purpose, God is the hero of the Bible. Okay? Because the, the beauty of this is that as we cycle through, as we cycle through this awful behavior, right? So they have, they have ups and they have downs, and they have ups and they have downs, and they have ups and they have downs, and it generally goes down. God is always the one that lifts them up. He is always the one that stretches out His arm to save. He is always the one that is always there, ready to always do the right things at all times. And that's just not the case with the children of Israel. Can anybody relate to that? Yes, I think I can. So, we're in Judges chapter 6 and 7. Here we go. The Midianites oppressed Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years, and the hand of Midian prevailed or was strong against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So they ran away from the land that God had given them, and they ran up into the hills. They ran up into the mountains and they hid because it was safe there. So So it was, verse 3, that whenever Israel had sown, they had planted crops, Midianites would come up, and also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Verse 4, then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no substance for Israel, neither sheep nor donkey nor ox. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished. Anybody have a different translation in your Bible? Verse 6, Israel was greatly what? Reduced to starvation. That's pretty good. Anybody else? Brought very low. That's the Hebrew idea of the word is that you are bringing low. The the implication there is that they were humbled through this. Um, In the Old Testament, pride is seen as being high and humility is seen as being low. Uh, many times this was reflected in your posture. If you were in front of someone that you respected a great deal, you would, you would get low and you would bow down to them. You would show humility. If you wanted to be arrogant or high, you would have a haughty or a high attitude and you would stand up tall. So you see this difference. And the idea here is that, that Israel is being humbled. Why? Because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried out to God. So what do you think God does when his children cry out to them? He protects them. What else? I heard it over here. He hears them. That's handy, right? It's not like, uh, I'm not getting your station right now. I've got to tune in to another channel. No, he, he hears. What else? Who's the hero of the story? So what else does God do? He saves, right? He steps in and he saves the day. And how does he do that? He calls a judge, right? He calls up a judge. So let's see what happens. So, verse seven, and it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet. What? I thought we were in Judges. (laughs) We're not in the prophets, right? And and you heard me say, and you've heard me say several times that the these clean lines that we try to divide Scripture up into, right? The age of the patriarchs, the age of the law, the age of the judges, the kings, then the prophets, and this quiet period, then Jesus shows up then the apostles, then the revelation, and then we're living in the church age. It's, if you want to write that down, it's like the whole Bible. Okay? They're not neat, straight little lines. There's fudge, fuzzy edges, and God throws a prophet in here every once in a while. He raises up a hero every once in a while, and he, he kind of does things out of order because he can. Right? So if a prophet shows up in the middle of Judges, don't freak out. It's okay. So this prophet... <clears throat> He sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them Thus says the Lord God of Israel I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land Also I said to you I am the Lord your God Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell but you have not obeyed my voice Pretty clear, right? So what's the prophet's name? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? Yeah, it wasn't wasn't Bueller, right? (laughs) Anybody? Footnote in your Bible? Asterisk? Anything? Nothing. We have no clue what his name was. It's an unnamed prophet. So I got to thinking about this this week. Um, Would you be okay having your legacy not be associated with your name. Adams like, yeah, I want to get rid of some stuff. <laughs> but but think about that. You do this great thing. God uses you in this great way and nobody knows your name. It's like the opposite of cheers, okay? And and you're just you're yeah, where no one knows your name. You're anonymous. You're that anonymous prophet in the Bible that all the commentators love to speculate on but have really no clue what they're talking about, okay? Because it just didn't say, right? That was, that was a tough one for me, wrestling with that, that whole idea of anonymity in the kingdom is okay because who, who really should get all the glory? God. So if nobody knows my name, that's all right. Uh, and there is a typo on the handout today in case you noticed. The chandelier probably picked it up, right? Because chandelier's name at the bottom of this handout. Um, I didn't do that on purpose. It would have been a great segue into, I don't care if you know my name. I just put somebody else's random name on there. No, it's just, I goofed up. So, used an old version of the file. Yes, I can do typos too. Where's Justin at? He's in nursery. Justin, I'm talking to you right now. Yes, I made an error on the handout, and you missed it, okay? You missed it. All right. So, verse 11. God's the hero of the story. So, what does God do? He shows up. Verse 11. Now, the angel of the Lord, something funny about that word angel. What's funny about that word angel So who are we talking about? Jesus. It's called a theophany. It's an Old Testament instance of Jesus Christ showing up before he was incarnated in in the virgin birth process in the New Testament. If you want a theological word to learn for the day, theophany, T-H-E-O-P-H-A-N-Y, theophany. Yes, I had to look it up too. It's okay. He came and sat under the terebinth, or oak tree, which is in Ophrah, and belonged to Joash the Abizarite. Now this is one of Manasseh's sons. This is a Jewish guy. While his son Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. So I'll ask the same question as I asked last week of Barak. Does this look like a hero? He's hiding in the wine press threshing wheat. In case you're not familiar with the wheat pr- threshing process, you don't generally do it in the wine press. Okay? It's, not, it's like doing the laundry in the garage, if your laundry is not done in the garage normally, okay? or in the backyard, because, hey, why not? Right? We're, just hi- we're just hiding it right it's just a strange place to do it um, Gideon's name means hewer h-e-w-e-r hewer it's a strange word I know uh, if you hew something think about trees you're cutting them down it's the idea that we're cutting things down and if you if you look at the entire story of Gideon it's a really appropriate name because that's what he does to the enemies of God he cuts them down he cuts a lot of things down actually in this story So he threshed wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. What? Another way to translate this is, you strong army man. Are you talking to somebody else here? I mean, what's the deal with this, you know? And the funny thing is, Gideon doesn't believe this is God yet. Because, what's yeah, would you, right? I mean, I, I don't know, it's like... I don't think you know what you're talking about. I'm not going to believe you. Yeah, cuz the first instance of emotion when somebody sees God in the Old Testament is what? It's fear. You, you just fall flat on your face and you're like, "I am scared to death." Almost every single time the first words out of an angel or God's mouth are what? "Don't be afraid. It's okay. I'm not here to kill you. <laughs> you know, I'm actually here to give you a message." And and the angel does not say this, right? because he didn't need to cuz Gideon hadn't figured it out yet. We'll address that in a minute. So Gideon said to him, "Oh my Lord, if the if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites." Well, there's a little problem here with Gideon's retelling of history. Right? Had God left? No. Who had really forsaken whom here? Israel turned their back on God, right? And there's some repercussions from that. So the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hands of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Think about the tense of that real quick. Have I not sent you? What does that sound like to you? Sounds like like what, Adam? Adam? now like told him, we've already had this conversation once and you didn't get off like your butt and do it. So, it, does this not sound eerily rem- reminiscent of last week's lesson with Barack, uh, Deborah walks up to him and goes, you know what you're supposed to do. I need you to go do it now. So these heroes in the Old Testament need a little prodding, right? They need a little help. So Gideon said to him, verse fifteen, "Oh my Lord, which probably would have been my first words, but I don't think he meant it that way. Uh, How can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan or my family is the weakest in Manasseh, in his whole tribe, and I am the least in my father's house. Who does this sound like? It, it sounds like Moses, right? When, when, Jesus, when, uh, when God shows up in the, the bush and, and Moses' response is, Here, my Lord, send Aaron. You know, I'm, I'm here, I'm ready, but I don't really want to go because Aaron's a better speaker and I'm weak and they won't believe me and they won't follow me and... and 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 Gideon runs through his little list, but I'll be honest with you guys. When God is determined to do something, he is going to do it. So the Lord said to him, verse 16, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then Gideon said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign. Here we go. Okay. He's still testing here. I think we're still, I know, I want to sing the song. If I could sing, I'd totally sing the song. Uh, Another word for sign is proof. Uh, It's your blank there. Another word for sign is show me some proof. Uh, This aggravates the fool out of me, and I don't know what the law says about it, but every once in a while I will see an unmarked police car with lights in the dash pull somebody over. I am not getting pulled over by an unmarked police car at night just... We're going to drive, I'm going to drive a long ways to a well-lit place where I have friends before I get out of the car. I want to see some proof, right? If your car's all painted up and you got lights on the top and you're in an officer suit, okay, I'm good. But if everything's disguised, I don't know, what's a uniform, that's the word, thank you. (laughs) This is what happens when I use analogies when they just pop in my head, right? I don't think them through. No, but I need some proof before I'm just going to commit to something this big. And God has just told him, apparently maybe for the second time, to go and lead the Israelis against the Midianites. And the Israelis are hiding in caves. That's where we're at. That's the, the, uh, the culture of the day, if you will. So, so what does he telling? him? He said, if I have found favor in your sight, show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from me here, I pray, until you come and bring me out of... I'm sorry... Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he, God, said, I will wait until you come back. So, so Gideon goes and he makes dinner, basically. He goes and he kills a goat and he gets the goat ready and he cooks some soup and he gets the soup ready and he puts it in a pitcher and he brings it back. So we come back to uh, verse 20. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. In my notes, it says, "Finally, obedience without question." Right? He, finally, God told him to do something. This is a turn. I think, I honestly, believe this is a turning point for Gideon because he begins to go, oh, "Okay, I'm just going to do it." There's no no rebuttal here. Verse 21. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire. Did we talk about? Did we introduced any fire-making ingredients into the story so far? We have goats. We have broth, goat broth, I guess, and unleavened bread and a stick. And we have fire now. So I don't know how you make fire from goat broth and a stick, but to me, sign. Okay? And he touched the meat and unleavened bread, and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread, and the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight because his job was done. He had made his point. Right? Now, now, Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord. See, so he's, he's you kind of like, really? Okay, I think so. We got it. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the an angel of the Lord face to face. Then, this is goofy, then the Lord said to him, I don't know where this came from, the angel left, but God's still talking, peace be with you, do not fear, you shall not die. Now the, now the no fear comes because he got it. So, so perhaps in the Bible you don't hear the no fear lesson until you recognize that this was actually God speaking to you. God doesn't waste his breath on things that is not needed. Verse 24, So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it The Lord is Peace. To this day, the day that Judges, the book of Judges was written, it is still an offer of the Abizarites. Now, verse 25, It came to pass the same night. So this has been a big day for Gideon, right? Because he was just minding his own business, literally. Just hung up in the wine press, threshing wheat. Angel comes, fire out of the rock, burns this goat. I mean, strange stuff. Verse 25. Now it came to pass that same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the rock in the proper arrangement, and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image, which you shall cut down. Okay? Okay? It sounds a little strange. So the idea here is that there was this wooden altar to Baal. And around the wooden altar to Baal, sometimes they would plant sacred groves of trees. Um, in the Old Testament, you'll see sometimes the altars were torn down, the high places were torn down, and the groves were cut. And you're like, the groves were cut? What is the groves being cut? It was groves of trees. That they would inscribe different things about how to worship the altar, that is the, the, god, the false god that is here. So... If you just pull down the false God but leave up all the directions, have you really done a thorough job? Not really. So the idea is that we're gonna pull down the false God. And this must have been a, a significantly big deal because he had to get a bull to help him pull it down. Okay, so this is not this is not my hero factory hero, right? This is a big, big altar. It's not gonna stay up now. Justin Justin had it standing here a little while ago. There we go. Okay feel better about myself. Okay. Um, so I think, I actually think that God wanted to test Gideon here, right? Because you don't send an unclean thing into battle on your behalf. Uh, Doug, do you, do you command any soldiers? Anybody underneath you? Yeah, and if you've got a guy that you can't trust, are you going to give it? Doug's in the Army, I'm not, in the Air Force, I'm sorry, boy, I'm sorry, I, I apologize, I'm going to have to pay for that, oh, dang it, okay, uh, Doug, yeah, I know. Doug's in the Air Force. And you are a what rank in the Air Force? A chief. Thank you for your service, by the way. I appreciate that. Um, and so you've got men underneath you, and you're going to give the most important job to the guy that you can trust the least, right? He's like, no, you you threw me off a... Of yeah, oh, okay. Oh, that's pretty good. That's a, I had not considered that option, but that's pretty good, yeah. That's experience speaking right there now. Yeah, so... So Gideon, you know, just a few hours earlier in the day was testing to see if this was God. And I think God is testing to see, are you going to clean up the junk in your own house before I go send you to war and lead men, lead my people into battle? So this is a test for Gideon. Um, I think God tells Gideon to throw out the casserole. That's your blank, actually, by the way. Got you to write the word casserole in Sunday school. You didn't see that one coming, did you? And I really think this is a beautiful example of the put off, put on principle taught in the New Testament, right? Because before you put on the righteousness of God, you you get rid of that junk, right? You put off and then you put on. You don't put on and then put off. It's a really big difference. So, verse 27, so Gideon took 10 men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. Did Gideon ask any questions on this one? No. Yes. All right. Go, Gideon. Here we go. We're making progress. Because, but because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. Oh, so close, right? He wants to be a hero. I think he really does, but he's not quite there yet. So, verse 28. When the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down, and the wooden image that was beside it was cut down. And the second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. And they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And when they had inquired, they asked. And they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. And the men of the city said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die because he has torn down the altar of Baal and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him. Now remember, earlier in this chapter, whose altar was this? It was Joash's altar. Okay? This is what Joash says in 31. Would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him plead for himself, because his altar has been torn down. Ooh! Somebody grew a spine overnight, I believe. Right? I mean, he's he's really he's he's hammering it home here. Therefore, on that day, he, his daddy Joash, called him Gideon Jerubbaal, saying, "Let Baal plead against him, because he has torn down his altar." So, Gideon gets a nickname out of this whole ordeal. Verse thirty-three. We're going to shift gears to a macro level now. Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites uh, and the people of the east gathered together, and they crossed over and encamped in the valley, valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet, and the Abizarites gathered behind him. So this is his family. His family gathered. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh. That's his tribe. Okay, So his, his clan is his daddy and him. His family is the folks that are like four and five generations removed. His tribe are the sons of Manasseh, and Manasseh was the son of Joseph, right, the 12 tribes of Israel. So there's 12 major divisions. So he sent messengers to Asher, another 12, one of the 12 tribes, to Zebulun and to Naphtali. These are other tribes in Israel. And they came up to meet them. Now, I think Gideon is starting to look a little more like a hero here, right? He's beginning to to go through this. And God gave him very small steps to take to lead him to where he needs to be. And the blank here is small steps of obedience will strengthen your faith. Um, Many of you are new to Stuart Heights in the last... How many of you are here in the last uh, three years? Last three years? It's fantastic. I love it. Uh, And many of you, when you have come up to me and said, hey, I want to get involved. I want to get active. I want to do something. The first thing I gave you was... Some little scrawny thing And some of you went Really? That's what you want me to do? Yep Because that's where we're going to start um, I told this story at fight night last night And I'm going to try not to get choked up So um, the, uh, the archers The first day they were in my Sunday school class um, The first day they were in my Sunday school class Came up afterward and they were like uh, And Myla started talking Because Tim I think she had told him just to shut up I'm going to handle this and being the exceedingly wise man that he is, he let her go. So she comes up and he said, no, we're new here. Um, we're just coming out of a church, and we want to work. She didn't use the word serve. She said work. Okay. And uh, she said, I know in any church that there's stuff that nobody wants to do, and I know that you've got to get a good feel for us and that you've got to kind of get used to us before we do something. Uh, so give us the stuff that nobody wants to do. Thing. I'm sorry. Can you say that again? Because that was awesome. I just want to make sure I get it right because I'm going to retell this story one day, you know. Thank you. Um, I was having a really piss poor day, and that was awesome, by the way. So, and they had no clue about all that was going on. But these little bitty steps of obedience help to strengthen his faith because what God is fixing to ask him to do is crazy. Okay, right? I mean, absolutely ridiculously crazy. So, Verse 36, Gideon said to God, Oh, here we go. Okay. If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, Look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. And if there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. You're keeping count. This is the sixth thing that Gideon has asked of God. Verse 38, And it was so. And when he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung out the dew out of the fleece in a bowl full of water. Okay, sign, check. Verse 39, then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. It's like Columbo, come on, get your questions over with, all right? Um, nobody got the Columbo reference? You guys got it, didn't you? Okay, I was like, that's, that's cool, all right. It said, let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry on the fleece, but on the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but the dew, there was ground. But the dew was, uh, but there was dew on the, all around the ground. So he does this test again, right? So the, the inverse of the test and passes the test again. Now, there's something interesting about Gideon's relationship with God at this point because Gideon never again in the history of the Old Testament speaks to God. So I don't know if there was something just about this particular thing that this was the nail in the coffin I got it. I can trust you. I don't know if it was, I'm going to do this stuff on my own. I don't know what it was, but he never again asks another question. He just obeys. Which, okay, at the end of the day, you know what God wants? O-B-E-D. Right? I'm not going to sing. That's as far as I'm going to go. right? Judges chapter 7. So what's he going to do with all this built-up strengthening of his faith? Then Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, that's in case you didn't read chapter 6. <clears throat> and all the people who are with him. Now we find out later that there's 32,000 men that are with him now. They rose up early and encamped beside the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. Now, in Judges chapter 8, it tells us there's 135,000 Midianites. Okay? So, 135,000. Um, Doug, if you've got 32,000 men... And the enemy has. Jules, is there another marker in the bag? Thanks. She was already unzipping it before I asked, weren't you? Yep. That's what she does. Thanks. Um, Doug, if you've got one hundred, if you've got thirty-two thousand men, okay. So we'll just say Doug. Thirty-two thousand, okay. And um, Al Qaeda has 135,000. Y'all know it's spelled wrong, but you don't know how to spell it right, so we'll just leave it alone, right? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think about your odds, Doug? Well, first, I'm going to call the army. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) That was awesome. We're going to call the army. I like it. Uh, We don't march. We don't march. Okay. (laughs) Let's say you got 32,000 foot soldiers and they have 135,000 foot soldiers. And oh, by the way, they have some tanks because the Bible says they have camels, which is the Old Testament equivalent of a tank. Because it could travel very, very quickly. It could chase you down in the field of battle and they could kill you from an elevated position. And you would never know what hit you. You'd just be laying on the ground with a spear in your back, wondering what happened, why your day went so horribly wrong. Okay, so you got 32,000 versus 135,000. How are you feeling? Oh, by the way, you've been hiding in hills and rocks, and your guys haven't had any chance to train. You just kind of all got them together today. And they don't know each other. <clears throat> and they don't know you. How you feeling? <laughs> I, want another, I want another fleece is what I want. <laughs> okay. So that's where we're at right now. So I'll tell you the brief story. Um, God tells Gideon to test the men. Right, God, I think God's kind of getting tired of tests, so He's going to give a couple of tests of His own. It says Gideon, tests the men." It says Gideon, "Everybody, tell everybody who's scared to go home." How many of them go home? So we got ten thousand left. And you know, God looks at the ten thousand. You know what He says? The English are too many. You like that? That was good. I've been waiting all week to tell that joke. All week, man. Yeah, he says, you got too many. So, I got another test. We're going to go get a drink of water. All the guys are going to go down to this river and get a drink of water. And everybody who lays down and laps up the water like a dog, put them on one side, and everybody who kneels down and cups it up with their hand so as not to get dirty, Confession, I'd be like the cup it up in my hand guy because I'm going to lay down in the river. What are you talking about? Put them on one side. There were 300 guys that cupped it up in their hand. There were 9,700 that laid down and lapped it up like a dog. And guess what God decides to use? Oh man, this is God math gone wrong right here, right? So, Doug, you're down to 300 guys. <laughs> <laughs> <Me and Marines. laughs> With some serious body armor and serious weapons. and Yeah, the hero factory is cranking these boys out, right? And uh, look at verse 7. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go. Go every man to his place. Now, in all honesty, how many men did God need to win this battle? None is the right answer. I knew somebody was going to say, just one. Just, he just needed Gideon. No, he didn't need Gideon either. Right, he needed somebody to tell the story That's what he needed. That's why he got the 300. Um, so there's 300 men. What kind of men are they again? Yeah, they've been hiding in caves that lapped up the water with their hand. They were real neat about it. So Do they sound like the ferocious, vicious killers that you want? Not exactly, right? I, I would want the half-crazy guys, you know? I want the guys in Braveheart who are mooning the other guys before we got started because they're just, they're just crazy, right? That's who I want. If I've got to pick 300, and that's it. Okay, here we go. Verse 9, It happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Purah, his servant, to the outpost and the armed men who were at the camp. Catch it? That meant Gideon was what? He was afraid, yeah? It meant he's not crazy, too. Because <laughs> if he wasn't a little bit afraid, let's I, I, cut him a little bit of slack here, right? I mean, 300 versus 135,000. So, flip down to Verse 16. And he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches. So you got 300 guys to work with, and you give them a musical instrument, an empty cup, and a burning piece of wood. (laughs) That's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. And this is where Gideon crossed the Rubicon because this is 100% pure leadership. Look at me and do what I do. You can talk about leadership is setting expectations, it's vision, it's this, it's that. Leadership is telling the people that you're leading, look at me and do what I'm doing. Watch. And when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, Then you also blow the trumpet on every side of the whole camp and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. 19. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him, remember because he divided it up into three sets of a hundred, came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. And just as they had posted the watch, they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing. And they cried the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp. And the whole army ran and cried out and fled. And when the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. See, God caused Israel's enemies to fight themselves. Um, There's a really neat principle here is that you don't have to fight your battles all the time, right? Um, Sometimes God actually causes the thing that causes us opposition to self-destruct. And that's what's happening. He woke the Midianites up in the middle of the night. They hear loud music playing, and they see torches all around their camp from a higher position. This is a problem. (laughs) They think that they are being invaded, and God apparently made them go crazy for just a minute. And what happened? And the army fled to bait Acacia toward Zerorah as far as the border of Abel, Maloa, and Tabith. Translation, about 150 miles away. And the men of Israel gathered together from Naphtali and Asher and all Manasseh and pursued the Midianites. This is more than the original 300, because the 300 did their job, and then guess what happened? Now we're going to go reverse. Now we're coming back up to the 10,000, back up to the 32,000, back up to a whole lot more, because God wanted to deliver using this, but God wanted to involve using this. this makes sense? Because there's a place in the kingdom of God for all of us, Verse 24, Then Gideon sent messengers throughout all the mountains of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize them from watering, for watering places as far as Beit Barah and the Jordan. And the men of Ephraim gathered together and seized the watering places, because this was important. If you seize the watering places, you don't have to live in the cave anymore. And they captured two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb. Sounds like a bad guy on Men in Black, doesn't it? They killed Oreb on the, at the Rock of Oreb. I love it. And they killed Zeb at the wine press of Zeb. That means they went to their house and took care of business, okay? They're chasing these guys a long way. They pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of the Jordan. I will not tell you all the story of chapter eight, but chapter eight makes chapter seven look like um, you're comparing Pulp Fiction with Mickey Mouse. Chapter eight is the Pulp Fiction. They chase these boys down, and they kill and they kill and they kill and they kill and the land has rest and that is the story of Gideon this man who wants to question and question and question and question and question and finally God strengthens that faith to the point of i'm just going to obey and he overthrows and they have peace in the time of this judge so what's the application of this what is the point of this 300 well god can handle all of your questions but at the end of the day he wants your obedience in the history of man I would imagine God's answered pretty much every question that could be asked right I don't think I'm smart enough to ask him anything new Um, number two God can handle all of your fears but at the end of the day he wants your obedience and God is the real hero and will use whatever is in your hand to fulfill his purposes so what do I do with that well question but obey that's fine fear but obey that's fine And use what's in your hand. You say, Jim, I don't know what's in my hand. I don't know what's in your hand either. Start looking. God's put something in your hand. Use that. That's what he wants you to use. It's awesome. This is the story of Gideon.